0: Well, hello and welcome to Finding Our Way, our Southridge Church member podcast designed to give people the inside scoop on life in our church. Here's our host and lead pastor, Jeff Lockyer. Welcome back to another edition of Finding Our Way. We are really excited this month to be able to invite some outside voices to share some conversation with us as we track together as a church community during our monthly It Takes a Village series that we do every July. And uh, today I get to sit down with a dear friend of Southridge's, a longtime voice in our community, Ellen Duffield. Ellen, say hi to everybody. Hi, it's great to be with you. Ellen, uh, we haven't chatted in this kind of environment before, so why don't you share with our people kind of what you're up to these days and just give us a, a sense of your world.
1: Well, thank you, Jeff. Yeah, it's great to be able to uh, chat today. and. I've been doing a fair bit of uh, writing and researching. In fact, I've been working on some projects that we'll hopefully get a chance to talk about later in this podcast, as well as some study around the life of Jesus that has been like a ten-year journey for me. And so, it's it's really been fun to get it to this point where it's close to complete.
0: Obviously. Every conversation starts starts with the small talk of the pandemic. So what would you say the pandemic has been like in your world? What have you kind of learned about yourself during the pandemic or just kind of how's it been for you?
1: Mm, yeah, thank you. Uh, so, of course, moving to virtual for most of the work that we do has had its challenges. Although if I'm totally honest, as a bit of a hermit, there's part of that that has been kind of refreshing for me and has given me more opportunity to reflect and to work on some projects. So, so that's been really good, but I would say at a deeper, more kind of vulnerable level, I think one of the things that really stands out to me about this season is is, It's shown me how I have a tendency to work and to stay busy and stay active, to cover up uh, loneliness and some other kind of deeper things. And so I've been doing some work in that area
0: as well. I'll ask a lighter question and just say, what's been challenging for you lately, if not your, your greatest challenge, whether it's in life or ministry or whatever?
1: Hmm. Yeah, so it's been a challenging year for our family, to be candid. Uh, we've gone through some health issues and a variety of different things that have been really difficult. But I think on a broader scale, it's been interesting to see how this season makes the world both bigger and smaller. And bigger in the sense that we're perhaps more aware of what's going on in many parts of the world, but also smaller in the sense of what's allowable or what your average day looks like. And there's something in that tension that I have found just really challenging to walk out, you know, being present to the moment and preparing for the future when there's so much uncertainty about the future. It's in those
0: tensions. There's just been some challenge for sure. Hmm. I can track with that. That's, that's a, a great way to say that. Um, let's do a bit of review, uh, especially for those for whom you might be new uh knowing that the reason you've been a friend for so many years uh to Southridge is because of the impact of your work on our church when it comes to uh female leadership empowerment and uh, just to sort of review a little bit of your journey can you remind us of like how you got into this and and particularly some of the research that was most game changing for you, and then, in turn, most game-changing for us as a community. Mm -hmm.
1: Yeah, so this is the kind of work that you don't normally choose to go into. As you can imagine, it's a bit of a a landmine, especially when I started some 30 years ago. But it's something that I felt very, I'm going to use the the language called to, invited into. I felt that it was really important. And part of the reason for me that it's really important is it goes way beyond Women's Leadership Empowerment. It's about that, of course, but it's about something quite a bit bigger than that for me. Uh, it's about what, who God is and what God looks like. And it's about what the kingdom of God is designed to be and how we can create spaces of partnership and how we can you know, live into that Genesis 1 ideal of what it means for men and women to collaborate and to partner and to see the fullness that can occur when we have that happening. And so for me, it's a really huge kind of theological kingdom of God piece. But then there's also the social justice piece, which is, you know, I know really important to you as well as to us. And that's around how when we have a minimum of 30% women at decision-making tables around the world, we see things like crime and corruption and poverty levels go down. And we see things like clean water and effective peacekeeping and education and a number, number of positive factors go up. And so if you could choose just a few levers that you could pull on that would make a huge impact globally as well as locally, in my opinion, this would be one of them. And so I think that's really important for us to understand as we start talking about this. But then there's also the personal impact. And you know, starting this starts really young for girls and women is certainly in many parts of the world. And every woman's journey is different, of course. But when you look at the stats, you see things like by age six, Already, many girls in many parts of the world think that boys are going to be smarter than girls can be. And by age seven, girls are already internalizing the message that's more important to be attractive than to have good character. By age nine, they're already feeling like their level of confidence is at its peak. And through a number of different factors, internal and external, levels of confidence will drop from age nine to 11 11 to 13 and so on probably until a woman is in her 40s or even 50s, unless there's some kind of intervention. And perhaps that's why I just read a statistic recently that was, you know, really kind of disturbing that something like 80% of 10-year-old girls already have significant body issues. You know, when you begin to see these kinds of things, you realize this is a really important topic on so many different levels, both Globally and in the kingdom of God, but also individually for girls and women.
0: Yeah, I would say all of that was sham-wow level to us, especially 10 or 15 years ago as what was originally kind of this, we describe it as a cute little band of brothers that were handed the leadership of our church that had become this impenetrable boys club unintentionally. And we just had no idea of the blind spots of what we were propagating and you know your research on confidence uh and differentiation of even styles in in uh in men and women was just so eye opening for us then like you said the the deeper theological stuff of are we missing out on like half of the heart of god and half of the potential of the kingdom by over-emphasizing or over-experiencing the paternal dynamics and missing out on all the beauty and all the power of the maternal dynamics of the heart of God. And so, uh, you know, really the the, the the accumulation of all that has been so powerful in our context. The one thing you didn't mention, Ellen, was uh, your work around what you've called the courts. Remind mm-hmm. us of that as well.
1: Yeah. So if, if you can imagine that different people based on their personality or based on their upbringing or whatever, would prefer a different kind of environment in which they can thrive, there does also seem to be some indication, and I realize this is always controversial, but there does seem to be some indication that there are differences according to our gender or certainly the way that we were socialized according to our gender. And so we we talk about that in terms of two different courts. And any model is always oversimplified, and certainly this is an oversimplified model. But, you know, you don't play tennis on a basketball court, just like you don't play basketball on a tennis court. They're designed differently to provide for different things. And so some of the work we looked at was what does that court, what does that table, what does that working environment need to look like in order for women and girls to thrive? and there are some differences around that and you've already mentioned one of those differences is around levels of confidence which i mentioned starts really young and as a result of women's pathway both personally and you know corporately when we look at women around the world we see that even the most intelligent and well educated of women in fact perhaps more likely the more intelligent a woman is the more likely she is to struggle with low confidence. Now, that's not every woman, of course, but that's a huge factor when we begin to think about how do we create environments in both, which both men and women can thrive? Now, one of the questions that often comes up is, well, you know, we, we don't want to have just a tennis court or just a basketball court. Is there a way of building one that works for both? And, of course, that's the answer to that is yes, and that's the work that we're doing. How do we create environments in which both men and women can thrive?
0: For review, two of the most... Uh significant pieces of legacy of your investment in our community are these two programs that we launched years ago, Next Level Leadership and Brave Girls. We've done podcasts on both of them. So listeners, if you want to dig in deeper, uh, you can go and refer back to the archives of Finding Our Way and and sort through them and, and listen to those. I'm just curious today, Ellen, like, what are you seeing God do in these programs these days, knowing that, you know, the last... 15 or so months uh, have been through this pandemic.
1: Yeah, so it's an interesting season, isn't it? Because so much of Brave and Next Level are about gathering together, just like so many other great opportunities that you offer and other churches are offering. So we've had to, of course, find ways of doing that a little bit differently. But I think it's perhaps shown us just how important these types of opportunities are Because they provide not only a touch point where we can reconnect as women, as girls, as people, but also they're like a very intentional way of thinking about who do we want to be and how do we want to show up. And so there's this constant invitation to look at the brave way, to look at a third way. You know, feels like we have to do this or that. Is that really the situation or is there a better way? Is there a new way? forward. And so just go back to the language of confidence, you know, it feels like sometimes the choices I'm either going to come across as cocky, or I'm going to come across as timid. Those are the only two choices to me. Well, is there a third way through that? And so what we are finding even in this past number of months is that there have been incredible conversations that are going on around who do I want to be in this season? And then, who am I preparing to be in this upcoming season? And how can these connection points, these resources, enable us to
0: live fully in this season and prepare fully for the next? Knowing that you made this investment initially in us almost a decade ago, uh, when you take a step back, or you know, maybe because you live three hours away. Uh, <laughs> and you can kind of look from, from, from a distance. What is it Ellen that makes you happiest about the way that God has worked through you and then through these programs as a result of your investment in them?
1: Yeah, thank you. I love that question because I love the fact that you can look at individual girls and women and families and ministries and see significant, differences in the way that they are acting and interacting with each other. And I love the fact that there's a bit of a buzz outside of Southridge as well, to be honest. And I was talking to someone just a week or so ago, and she mentioned that she had been working in a a large church for a number of years. And sadly, I have these conversations way too frequently. She was pretty frustrated about a number of things. And and one of them was uh, around this whole topic that we're talking about. And and, uh, she said, you know, I'm, I'm leaving my position, and I'm not sure that I would ever go into another church again. And again, it's like that, you know, stab to the heart of the loss to the kingdom around this topic. And then she paused and then she said, but have you heard about what's happening at Southridge in St. Catherine's? Because like, I would go work at a church like that. And when you hear those kinds of stories that are giving hope to people beyond the church itself, I think that's a
0: Pretty powerful testimony of what God's doing. Yeah, I hope our listeners are encouraged by that. Uh, Carrie Jones and I just last week were consulted by another church, uh, and that happens with now some frequency. Can we give an hour? Can we give a couple hours to just kind of share our story of your investment in us and what God's done with that? Um, that's happened across Niagara. That's happened as far away as Australia. And, uh, I know that, you know that Ellen, cause we redirect them back to you every time. And, uh, it's just neat to see the, the way that, that God continues to spread that movement through you. Super exciting. Very cool. Um, let's talk about some sort of leading edge current things in your world. Cause I know you're a lifelong learner and a passionate follower of Jesus. Uh, you mentioned earlier that, you know, you've been digging into some things. What's like leading edge, thinking and learning in your world these days?
1: Yeah. So there's a couple of things. One is we know that COVID has taken a toll on women and girls around the world, a disproportionate both in terms of mental health, but also in terms of employment opportunities and a number of other factors. And so really some of the work that we've been doing recently is trying to figure out what's been going on and and what is an appropriate response to that situation. You know, the UN and others are concerned that this may have set female empowerment and equity issues back by a decade or according to some people, up to 30 years. So I think that's an important conversation that we need to be having. But then the second piece is I've been doing some work recently around, uh, I don't know if you're familiar with this language, Jeff, but precarious manhood and masculine uh, anxiety. And the, the, the kind of core concept there is that in some places, and for some people, it seems like masculinity is something that has to be it has to be proved, and it's precarious, it's easily lost. And there's a lot of overlap, as you can imagine, between that and the way that women are perceived and the, and the levels of domestic violence and any number of other
0: factors. So I'm really interested in the interplay between those two issues. Do you want to talk a little bit more about that? Because I know that one of the questions people have asked us over the years given the intensiveness of your investment in us is you know, sort of put crudely, what's here for the guys? And uh, obviously at one level, that's kind of a question of privilege, but at the same time, uh, we're well aware and the women around us are probably more than well aware that the males in our community, they need development too. <laughs>
1: Absolutely. And, and I would see it not even so much as a a question of privilege as a question of partnership. And, you know, if that's the picture that we see in Genesis one, this partnership between men and women collaborating together, then what we've been doing over the last number of years, Jeff, and I remember we even talked about this early on was we've been kind of like leveling the playing field a little bit for uh, women, girls at Southridge, but we knew even from the beginning, that that's not what this was really about. What this was about is how do we get to the point where we have one court and where we have a level playing field and we can now begin to move forward. And so I think both in terms of where Southridge is at, but even on a broader scale where I'm at, I feel like now's the time to have some of those conversations. And for many years, people have asked me, you know, when's there going to be a a, brave boys, or when are you are going to do something about this? And I would always say, I would love that if there was something like that. I'm not sure I'm the person to work on that. I don't have that lived experience. I haven't had the same passion for it. But I must say that that is changing for me. Certainly the passion piece and, and just feeling like if we're going to really explore what partnership looks like, then we need to look at it in a bit more of a 360 kind of way. Yeah. So as you're
0: looking forward, the question isn't just you know, what's next for next level leadership and brave girls, both at Southridge and beyond, but actually taking this movement to the next level when it comes to the partnership and like you'd said earlier, the the overall experience of the maternal and paternal heart of God in partnership together. Absolutely.
1: And then I would also say, you know, even in terms of scalability. So where are the other places where this could be most effective? And so what we've been working on and talking about is what would it take to create a girl-led, global, culturally grounded, relationally grounded, theologically grounded uh, program that could used in a variety of other settings because, for example, I've had four different people from four different countries in Africa reach out to ask about it. People from Europe, we already have it uh, functioning, as you know, in a remote community in northern Ontario and in Australia and New Zealand and a few other places. And so beginning to think about how do we create both within Brave and Next Level the opportunity to have the appropriate kinds of conversations that need to happen in a variety of different
0: settings. Yeah. I was going to ask that question. Like how are you seeing God's movement through your life and through your work expanding and growing? And I mean, we're getting a picture. This is way beyond just Southridge. Southridge is like a little guinea pig of, of experimentation, but you're, you're actually seeing this at some level uh, being able to have impact at a, at a global scale to some degree Yes, yeah, certainly I would hope so and
1: and the reason for that is because the need is huge and so it's you know there are ma- ama- many amazing initiatives that are happening of course and yet I am contacted on a very regular basis uh, by people saying, how, how do we make this work? you know our girls are struggling our women are uh, need additional resourcing. Our, we have the heart to be egalitarian but we don't know how, we don't have the skills to make it work. you know we don't know how to create a gender framework for example, for our organization that is both fair and empowering as opposed to restrictive. And so all of these conversations remind me this is an important topic and that there's a huge need
0: out there. So for us here at Southridge to participate in that, you know, both personally and beyond, uh, you know, I'm thinking of everyone listening to the conversation. Ellen, if we're new to this conversation, what steps would you do, would you encourage us to take?
1: Yeah, so I think there's steps we can take on both a personal level and then on a broader kind of organizational level based on the level of influence that we have. So on a personal level, I want to speak first of all to, to women and girls who might be listening to this podcast. And I would say, you know, although your journey is unique, you are not alone. And it's important to gather with others to have the kinds of conversations that will enable us to live fully into who we are without assigning blame or um, allowing victimization or any number of other things like that that can be so unhealthy. And so I would just encourage women and girls to begin to gather around these topics. And then if you're uh, a guy listening to this conversation, I would just encourage you to think about, you know, what role might I be playing unintentionally in this? And how could I be more intentional in creating equitable spaces and creating the opportunity for the kinds of conversations that would genuinely be important you know I sometimes hear people say in my organization I can talk about gender once and then if I ever mention it again that's like the kiss of death for me well you know that shouldn't be the case we should be able to have these kinds of conversations the way that we spend our money the uh, people that we invest in the way that we mentor all of these things have huge implications and the way that we vote with our feet and so choosing not to pee Uh, involved in a panel or a team or something that isn't egalitarian, in your opinion, or it isn't intentionally egalitarian. I think these are things that we can do that, that not only make a difference, but that send a powerful message to people who are watching.
0: As you think about this picture in your mind of men and women individually becoming the fullest versions of Jesus, and then together painting the fullest picture of the heart of God in partnership with one another, how would you summarize your dream for women and men working better together? Yeah, such a good
1: question, Jeff. And, you know, I was a pastor for a number of years and I loved the church and I I truly believe the church, you know, is incredibly important in our world, but also incredibly important to the heart of God. And wouldn't it be amazing if the church was the flagship of men and women partnering together and learning how to create these environments in which all people can thrive and that are truly egalitarian and truly uh, inclusive, not just in language, but in practice. You know, I just can't help but feel that there could be a really powerful movement of the spirit in this area and that it would send a very
0: important message to the world as well. As you think about Southridge specifically, knowing many of us from across our locations and across Niagara are are listening in, do um, you have any final kind of encouragements or challenges to our people when it comes to not only empowering women and female leaders to a greater degree, but leaning in personally and together as a as a family into the fullness of Christ in and through us?
1: Yeah. So this is a fundamentally a spiritual issue, in my opinion. Uh, grows right out of Genesis 1 through 3. And so we address spiritual issues in spiritual ways. And so I think rather than allowing this to be in any way divisive or controversial within families or within the church, you know, this is an area where we use the weapons that God gives us for spiritual issues. And, and one of those key issues is, is prayer. We pray over these things. And so I think, you know, my invitation to the Southridge family would be, you know, what if we could gather together and pray not only over our own girls and boys, our own community, but what if we could begin to pray into this on a, a broader level? And then secondly, as I've already mentioned, I love this language of partnership. And so just thinking about within the church, within teams, within families, where are we truly partnering and where do we maybe have a little bit of work to do? And what conversation, what question would open that up so that we could dig even more deeply into that?
0: That's amazing. I'm going to ask you one bonus question related to something that you alluded to earlier, So that one of the things that you've been doing during the pandemic has been digging into the life of Jesus. Yes. Uh, knowing that, as you just said, this is, this is not just a practical or a strategic issue. This is a spiritual issue. What's been striking you or, or, you know, what, what what would you want to share to us based on this deep dive that you've had recently into looking at the way of Jesus through fresh eyes?
1: Yeah. Well, so the study that I've been doing has been specifically around the Gospel of John and specifically around Jesus' I am statements in that Gospel. And I felt prompted to spend a year with each of those statements and enter into them experientially. And what I didn't see until I was several years into this journey was that there is a theme that pulls them all together. And the theme is about homecoming, and it's about the family coming home, and about how Jesus has positioned himself on the stage of history, so to speak, so that the family can come home. And I ended up calling the study, and the table will be wide, based on a poem by Jan Richardson, Reverend Jan Richardson. And it's this idea that the table will be wide, and there will be men and women, boys and girls, from all nations, from all languages. that God is wanting to build this massive table. He's committed time and energy and sacrifice to building this beautiful table. And then he's also given us tools and our job is to build that
0: table and to bring the family home. Phenomenal. I hope as uh, people are listening, it's become obvious if you haven't been exposed to uh, Ellen personally or any of her work through uh, her impact at Southridge, uh, I hope you now have a clearer sense of why she's been such a critical contributor to our broader village. Ellen, thanks so much for joining us today. My privilege. And uh, thanks to all of you for tracking in today. We'll see you in another week as we continue finding our way together. Take care, everybody.